Okay, we are in Romans 8.28. Uh, this is one of my favorite Bible verses. Uh, this is a verse that you absolutely should put on your refrigerator. Um, and the point is that at this point, Paul is winding up all of the prior verses, speaking about what those verses mean, knowing that you have the assurance that you're going to be with God, knowing that you're going to be uh, persecuted and you're going to suffer and you're going to have difficulties in this world. And as he brings it all to a conclusion, Romans 8.28 is one of the great Bible verses, and it says there, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. What a great verse that is to let you know that not only are you saved, not only will you be with the Lord uh, when you pass from this life, but that in this life, all things will work together because God has you. He's holding you. He's going to orchestrate it for you. And I can tell you that I've seen that categorically in my own life, uh, without a doubt, where I've gone through some very, very hard times. Uh, um, you know, certainly in churches, unfortunately, uh, where I was downcast, and yet I saw how God used those things uh, to mold me, to make me, to bring me a greater sense of what his call was on my life. And I want to assure you that that's the way it is for you as well. I saw it in my own professional life. Uh, at some of the darkest days that I had uh, when I tried cases uh, where I, I experienced injustice, uh, and yet God was taking those things and molding me and preparing me, and I believe he was preparing me for this day because God knew that the end days for me were not going to be in a courtroom. The end days for me were going to be behind a pulpit, even though I didn't know it. So I want you to understand that, that, that a lot of what goes on is not your own planning. I didn't plan for this, uh, but he knows. He directs. He has the foreknowledge, and so I want to assure you of that. And so Paul is telling us in this passage that God has a plan for your life. He has both a purpose and a plan in every aspect of your life. Uh, and so we know that uh, since he is in charge, that everything is going to work out for the best. These are the most, really amongst the most comforting words that you can find in all of Scripture. Yet, yet this verse does pose a problem for us as we focus down on it. How can this possibly be so in a world filled with evil? How can this be possible in a world that's still controlled by Satan, where evil is permeated in every aspect of this world? How can it be when good people suffer daily? Uh, and you know that question is posed. How can this be? Uh, and so when times are good, when families are well, it's easy to say all things work together for good. But it's not so easy to say it when there is sickness, uh, when there are difficulties, when the relationships are broken down. Then it's a hard thing uh, to say. Um, and I would say this, be very careful about who you say this verse to. All right, Don't walk into a hospital room where somebody is dying and drop that verse on them. You understand? 
Uh, I'd be very careful. Ask for discernment from the Lord uh, as to how and when you use that verse. So now, as we talk about this, what are the very boundaries of this verse? First, this is critical, this verse applies only to Christians. Okay? Let's get that straight right up front. I, uh, I, I'm always amazed when I hear uh, people who are not saved make the statement, well, I think all things work together for good. No, that's wrong. No, not for you it doesn't work out. All right? Don't go thinking that for you all things work together for good because you've decided to go on your own path. You're writing your own Bible. You're one of those people that thinks that there's a thousand ways to God when God has told you there's only one way to me. And so now you want to latch on to that verse and say all things work together for good. No, they don't. This is important when you speak to people that are not saved. We love them. But don't think that all things work together for good. Here's the deal. When those people get up in the morning, they're in a pinball machine. You understand? God is not directing their life. They're in an evil world. Who knows what's going to come their way, all right? God is not orchestrating events, but for you it's different because this verse applies to Christians. It tells us that once we have committed ourselves to Jesus Christ, God will take over our lives, will manipulate your life, and will make you more like Jesus. You understand that's the nature and essence of what the plan of God is. It's not to make you rich. It's not necessarily to make you more healthy, all right, or affluent, or to give you a big house, but it's about God manipulating and taking the events in your life, and at the end, you become more like the Lord. That's his plan. It's an amazing plan, isn't it, that the God of the universe would do that for us? It's amazing. The second boundary, this verse that you need to talk about is, what is meant by good. What is good? Uh, this is an important point because it does not mean good the way the world defines good or, where, or the way society defines good. Uh, it's not about being affluent or being rich or having a, an ample supply of this world's goods or being necessarily respected uh, or healthy or successful, it's not about that. Uh, God, you see, will ask many Christians to be persecuted, or to endure failure, or to endure scorn in some way, or even disappointment. Good means to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what good means. That in everything he's doing, he's conforming you to the likeness of Jesus Christ. There is no higher good for any human being. Uh, we understand how sickness and suffering can change us and can be used by God to attain this good end. That's a fact. We understand that. The third question from this verse uh, re uh, relates to the fact that the things that God uses uh, to change us are not necessarily good in themselves. The things that, are, that affect these changes are not necessarily good in themselves. On the contrary, often these things are in fact evil. 
Hatred is not love. Death is not life. Sickness is not health. But the verse teaches us that God uses these disparate elements uh, for his good. Uh, He takes them and uses them for his good. God brings good from evil. That's what you need to understand. God brings good from evil. Uh, Paul is telling us here uh, that we have to understand that in our relationship with God, uh, that he is performing good in our lives. Now, we know it, and it's not just guesswork. It's not just hope. You have that assurance, just as you have the assurance that you're going to be with God uh, someday. And we are comforted in that knowledge. This is a big deal for us as Christians. Um, As we focus on all these things, all things work together, it tells us that every happening in our life, once we commit ourselves to Jesus Christ, is ordered and compelled by God for our own good. Once we have committed ourselves to him. You've committed yourself to him. You're walking with him. So now you have the assurance that he is orchestrating the events in your life. Uh, and, And so this becomes important. Now, I want you also to understand that God does not bring evil. God cannot do evil. What happens in many cases is Satan is there, the demons are there, and they work and bring evil to you because you're in an evil world. God may allow it to happen, Uh, for his purposes, but he didn't orchestrate the evil. All right? Evil comes from the heart of man inspired by Satan, and I want you to understand that. Uh, That's important also for your theology. Now, as we focus on this verse, uh, what we learn is that there are several strong examples in Scripture that really emphasize this theology. One of the best is the life of Joseph. And you know the story of Joseph. There's Joseph, uh, that brilliant young man. Uh, His father is Jacob, uh, and Jacob loves Joseph. He gave him the coat of many colors, and the brothers were jealous of him. Uh, And so one day they decided that they've had enough with Joseph. All right? Uh, They wanted to get rid of him, and so what do they do? They throw him down a, a giant hole out in the middle of the desert and see slave traders come by, and they sell the brother into slavery. By the way, these brothers would become the, the uh, 11 tribes of Israel. How about that? You see how God, God can take even uh, people that have done some evil things and then change them. That's what they were. And so now Joseph, this innocent young man, I believe at that point he was maybe 16 years old, sold into slavery, sold into Egypt, goes into Egypt and is sold to Potiphar, Uh, one of the higher officials in Egypt, and he becomes effectively the houseboy for Potiphar and effectively becomes the director of his house uh, because that's how God allowed it to happen. Uh, Meanwhile, Joseph is cut off. He doesn't talk to his, he doesn't see his family cut off. And now as he's in Potiphar's house, uh, he is admired and respected. So much so that Potiphar's wife had her eye on this attractive young man. Uh, and she puts a female move on him, okay? I don't have to get any more graphic than that. And Joseph, being a righteous 
righteous Jew uh, who would not break the commandments rebuffed her. And, and she was so put off by the fact that this guy had the temerity to rebuff her that she tells her husband that he tried to rape him, rape her. And so now he's put in prison. Now, 17 years goes by from the time that Joseph is put into that hole to the time that he will get out of prison. He's probably in prison six or seven years. But you see, God is taking these evil events. And so uh, did God inspire the brothers to throw him in a hole? No, God didn't do that. That was out of their own heart. Did God uh, inspire Potiphar's wife to do what she did? No, that was evil. But God sits there behind the screens and is orchestrating everything. And there he is now in prison, can you imagine? But again, God allows his gifts to be uh, relevant. He starts interpreting the dreams of people in the prison. And two of Pharaoh's top aides are put into prison. Uh, and he, they come to him because they hear about this. And so he interprets their dreams. Uh, and so one of them is put to death, as Joseph told them they would. The other one is put back and elevated in a high position with Pharaoh. And so Pharaoh has a problem now where he needs a dream interpreted. Well, guess what? The guy that was in prison knows about a guy. I got a guy. I got a guy that I know of, you know, as we would say in New Jersey. Uh, but I know, you know, I've got a guy. And so what do you know? What do you know? Here he is. He's brought before Pharaoh. And he interprets this dream. It's an extraordinary interpretation where he tells him, listen, listen you're going to have seven years of incredible good luck. The, the fields will be fertile. You will receive so many good things. But beware, seven years down the line, there's going to be a terrible famine. And you need to be prepared for this. Well, guess what? The Pharaoh is so bowled over by the ability of this man to make this prediction that what does he do? How about you become the prime minister of Egypt, the second most powerful person in my kingdom? Who writes stories like this? God. You understand? God's an extraordinary story uh, about how good things, God puts all good things, all things come together for good. Now, did Joseph know 17 years earlier as he's sitting in this darkened pit, this is good because down the road I'm going to be prime minister. Uh, and not only was he prime minister, because as he was in that position, he, was, he, he allowed his family, which at that time was 40 people, to come to Egypt and be safe uh, and, and be secured. And guess what? From those 40 people, God gave them a secure place in Egypt that 400 years later, from that 40, there would be 3 million Jews. How about that? How about that? You couldn't possibly write a story like that. Uh, and so that now you get to see what, what does it mean, all things work together for good. Because he was a righteous man. Because he was a holy man. Because he worked for the best interests of God. Because he kept himself pure. That God saw that and God protected him. Now, that's just one example. How about the example of Job? Oh, wow. Job. Um, and, and God said about Job, there is no man more righteous. No man more righteous than my servant Job. 
And of course, Satan doing his best, best challenges. God, yeah, sure. He only serves you because you take care of him. You blessed him. Job was, at that point, reputedly one of the most uh, wealthy men in the entire world. Uh, and God said, no, no, that's not why he does it. And so God uh, effectively put Job on a stage and put the hedge of protection that was around him, removed it so that he would show who Job was and prove to the world what does it mean to be a righteous man. What does it mean to be a righteous man? And under the attacks of Satan, Job loses everything. He loses all his wealth. He loses all his family. He, uh, he, he, he loses his health. And in that same verse, you know, that, that famous verse where his wife says to him and looks at him, ah, she says to him, look at you, curse God and die. I always love the faithfulness of a good wife. <laughs> curse God and die. Well, of course, he never cursed God. He would not do that because that's, how, that's the kind of man that he was. Uh, and, and so Job did not understand, even as he was going through this, that God was developing his character, that he would stand forever as a champion of God. Uh, God was confounding the very wisdom of Satan that we follow God, not because of what God does for us, but because we love him. Uh, and that's the essence of that. Now, here's the point. And in the end, Job was restored in terms of everything. God fully restored him. All things work together for good. Now, there's another example in the New Testament involving the apostle Peter. Now, this is, a, this is an interesting example because Peter makes this statement to God, to the Lord, I will never leave you. I will never deny you. I don't care about the others, but you can count on me. Well, we know shortly, about 24 hours later, uh, not only does he deny the Lord, he takes off uh, and he curses in order to prove that he's not one of the disciples. And Jesus, you see, prays for Peter. He prays for Peter. Uh, and what does Jesus say in the prayer? Does Jesus say, Lord, don't let him be tempted? No, no, let's understand that. He doesn't say, don't let him be tempted. Instead, he says, I pray for you, Peter, that your faith will not fail, that you will be strengthened and be a guide and a leader to your uh, brothers uh, after the fall. Now, that's an, an interesting insight into how God works. He didn't, Jesus didn't pray that the temptation would not be there, but rather that he would survive the temptation that he would be strengthened by the temptation. And look at what Peter says himself on this issue. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. It's one of the epistles towards the end of the New Testament. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. As Peter recounts this and speaks about what he went through, he said, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening uh, to you. But rejoice, and you can underline that word in your Bible, rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer, 
or thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. There you see the understanding of the fact that yes, God is doing something. Yes, you're going to suffer. Yes, you're going to be persecuted. Uh, but Christ's glory will be revealed for you, provided you're walking with God. Now, let me say something to you. If you're suffering because you did something stupid, well, guess what? You're on your own. You understand? You're on your own. If you did something, you did a sin, you're walking in sin, you're doing things that are, I mean, really, you think you can go out and drink all kinds of alcohol, stay out all night, run around with all kinds of people, and all things will work together for good? What Bible are you reading? Called according to his purpose. Called according to his purpose. What purpose is that to be involved in debauchery and bacchanals? You understand? This is what you have to understand. You have to walk the line. God expects you to walk the line. Uh, and even then with Peter, he saved Peter and used him, but he had the guardrails up. You understand? The guardrails. Uh, and so this becomes important to understand. Uh, and so let me drill down even further for you on this verse. Uh, and so we have to understand what God's will is for our life. Uh, the good is from the perspective of God. The good, all things work together for good. Not your good, not your perspective, but his perspective as God looks at your life. Uh, and what's good from God's perspective not, might not look so good from ours. He may have a call on your life that you didn't think about. I could say that for myself. Uh, that when I was 21 years old uh, and I was going to law school, and to me, law school was a ticket out of poverty, uh, and uh, I was finally going to stop sleeping in a kitchen, uh, and I, had, I, I was very grateful for that. My grandfather, who was a deeply spiritual man, deeply spiritual, was both a minister, a minister and a missionary, uh, said to my aunt, and my aunt said, isn't it wonderful that your grandson is going to law school? Now remember, I'm 21 years old, and I had never gotten up in church at all. I was the church organist. And he said to my aunt, yes, he can go to law school, but the Lord has revealed to me that he will become a great Bible teacher. I said to my aunt, don't you ever tell another human being what you just said to me. Don't you ever. I don't want you to think that this was, you know, this was my lifelong ambition. I saw my grandfather. I saw my father. These were deeply righteous guys living really in a world of poverty. They had dedicated themselves to God. I wanted out. Yeah, I want to serve God, 
but I'll do it from the second pew. I'll do it from behind the organ. Don't tie me to this. I don't want this. And I'm going to tell you something. Do you see how God changes your life? How all of the things in your life come to a point until when I turned 50 years old, I had no choice. It was clear to me. It was done. I was done practicing law. Uh, that I had been called, really, to become a Bible teacher and then to become a pastor. Uh, and, and, you know, I never discussed this. I never once discussed this with my grandfather. I never once discussed it with my father and mother. Why? Because I didn't want to sign on. All right? So I want you to understand something. All right? You're looking at a guy who got grabbed by the collar, all right, and said, this is what you're going to be. That's how God works. And I glorify him. And thank him that he has done that to me, that he, has, that he has given me that grace and mercy. That's how good is defined. And it's defined for the same for you. It's defined for the same for you. Uh, and, and then the verse also, also says uh, that, that uh, it doesn't say that all things will be good. It doesn't say that. It, rather, it says that all things Work together for good. Work together for good. There's going to be some downtime. There's going to be some hits. There's going to be some hatred. There's going to be some suffering. There's going to be some persecution. It's not all good. You understand? You're living in an in evil world. You're walking in a world where you're going to take hits. But you're going to the cross. You're going to be with God. He has saved you. That is the assurance. Uh, and so there's a big deal that you need to understand this view theologically. You see it in Joseph. You see it in Peter. You see it in Job. Uh, the promise of uh, 8.28 is that God will work all things into something good, even the bad things. Even the bad things. So we can have faith in the midst of trials, in the midst of difficulties, that he's there behind the scene and orchestrating that, and putting things together. Uh, now, some people read Romans 8.28 incorrectly and maintain that God is the one that's causing all things to happen. That's false theology, all right? You're going through hard times, trials. God isn't, God isn't doing the evil things. It's Satan that's doing the evil things, just like you saw it with, with Job. That was the example. But God gives permission. God allows it. Evil doesn't come from God. Nowhere in Scripture can you find that God does evil or sin. He permits these things, but he never causes them. So we should be very careful to assume that God causes all these evil things. Sometimes, frankly, life happens. You understand? Life happens. You're living in an evil world. Is it, a, is it uh, a shock that when you drive the streets of Naples, Florida, you can get hit by a car? Is it a shock that you can get into an accident when you see the nutty way people drive? Is that a shock? I mean, you see, you see what goes on. You understand that. You're, you're living in an evil world. Sometimes life just overwhelms us. Tragedy strikes. We've heard about tragedy here this morning as we prayed. Look, that isn't God that causes the ice to, to uh, separate and a man uh, falls down and drowns. Let's understand that's tragedy. God doesn't do that. All right? That's tragedy. That happens. 
Uh, but God will take those events and orchestrate it and put it together so that there is some good at the end of, the, of time. All, he will put all these things together. Uh, it's, so it's clear that even though God may allow some of these tragedies or bad things to happen, he is not the one to blame. So don't go, if something bad happens to you, don't go and say, oh, God, you, I served you, I followed you, and you did this to me. No. First of all, ask yourself if you, you have responsibility for what happened, because a lot of times we're responsible, all right? But evil overwhelms. Let's understand that. So God works all things together for good, but he's not causing bad things. Uh, but yet he can bring about good from the bad things. Uh, and so we are surrounded by evil. We need to understand this. Uh, it, it's key. We often struggle to see past this life. This is another important part of this verse. We're so obsessed about the 90 or 100 maybe puny years in this world. Am I right? You're so obsessed about it. Uh, that you can't see beyond this life to the next. So when God says that all things work together for good, we often assume that he means just this life. And he doesn't mean just this life. He means not only this life, but in the life to come. And so while many of our problems might be resolved in this life, some will not. Some will not, but the assurance is that whatever he's doing, allowing to do to you, will have a benefit for you, not necessarily just in this life, but in the life to come. Now, what does that mean? It means that God ordains a responsibility when we get to the other side, okay? You're not going to be sitting with a harp on a cloud or playing golf all day long. I think God will have mercy on us if that's the case. <laughs> But, but the point is that you will have some governance responsibility. I don't know what that means, but the Bible is pretty clear about that. It doesn't, I, doesn't specify what it is, but if you think about the universe, the size of the universe, uh, and where God's creations are, you can rest assured that God will have some place for you where he will use you. And I'm sure that the events of this life will have an impact on how that takes place. Uh, and so it's important to know that. So that even if the good isn't resolved in this world, the good will be resolved in the world to come. Uh, and so as you look at what we've studied this season, what you see is in Romans 8 is that Paul is contrasting two types of people. Uh, those who live according to the flesh and those who live according to the spirit. Uh, and Paul is writing to the Romans to encourage them to live by the Spirit. Now think about what these people in Rome were facing. They're under the boot of Rome, all right? They're under the boot of Rome. Uh, and you know what Nero did uh, to Christians, how he crucified them and then lit their bodies on fire and used them as street lamps. You can imagine what it had to be like uh, to live in Rome. And so he's demonstrating to them that they need to be constant, Live by the Spirit. Don't live by the, the, the flesh. It's an incredible message of hope and encouragement uh, that tells us that God wants us to stay constant. Uh, and so it's important for you to know that. Uh, 
it also, Romans 8.28 also talks about some pretty hard things. Implicit is persecution, pain, and suffering, which are common themes in Romans 8. Uh, yet despite all that, uh, that Christians might face in this life, Paul makes it clear all things will work out. They will work out. I'm with you. I will not abandon you. You need to understand that. Uh, and so many Christians and churches wrongly promise that God will work out all things in this life from the benefit of our perspective. Well, you know that can't be right. I just told you it's not your perspective, it's his perspective. I also told you that some things may not be worked out in this life, but in the life to come. And so what we need to do is we need to have a good, righteous life walking with him, knowing that he is in control, and hoping and praying that our faith will not falter when calamity strikes. That's what this is about. Calamity will come your way, but be strong. Be consistent. Worship him. Uh, and so the main message of Romans 8.28 is that Jesus has paved the way for our salvation. He has guaranteed your salvation. Your home for eternity is absolutely secure. Uh, and so you never need to worry about where you're going when you die. And let me make this perfectly clear. Wherever you go, if somebody says to you, uh, are you going to heaven? Your answer should be yes. Why? Because the Bible told me so. Because I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Now, does that mean you're a righteous guy? No, it doesn't mean you're righteous. But it means that you've accepted Christ. And as the Bible has told you, because you've accepted Christ, uh, Christ is guaranteeing you that you're going to be with him. All right? You walk with him. You've accepted him. But it's for Christians. It's for people that have accepted him. That's important. Uh, and so that, this is important for you as you live and work in a difficult world. Uh, and so Paul is saying to us that suffering, while it's universal, is only temporal. Uh, and what he's also telling us is don't look at what is seen. Don't live your life in this world just looking at what is seen. Look at what is unseen. What is unseen is Christ, the cross, the guarantee of eternity, the fact that the Bible guarantees all these things. Uh, it, it's so critical, uh, and so we understand that. So let me give you a few practical truths as I wind this down uh, for this lesson and for this season. We know that our trials and our suffering produce something good in us. Romans tells us that. And so what you are going through, if you're going through current difficulties and trials, I want you to know that it's not meaningless, that you're not wasting your life here, that God is controlling you, and God will do incredible things for you as you stay faithful to him. Now, this requires some faith on your part, uh, and, and that you will not necessarily see everything that he's doing, but trust me and trust the Bible that it's clear that's what will happen. That's what will, will take place. The bad things in your life can be redeemed. Uh, what's dead in your life can be brought back. That's the business that God is in. That's the business that God is in. Uh, and so here's the thing that you need to know that. He loves you. 
and he has died for you. What makes you think that after Jesus bankrupted heaven to come to this earth and was put on a cross that he would forget about you? Come on. You know that's not the case. He's there with you to the end. Absolutely. And that's, that's God's purpose. But when we live outside of God's will, uh, then things are probably not going to work out for the best. Now, this is important. All right? This is important for even good people, people that call themselves Christians. Because from time to time, we will walk off the farm. Right? My grandfather used to call it, from time to time, we walk to Egypt. Because Egypt was used in, in the time of the Israelites as a place uh, of sodomy uh, and a personal uh, uh, increase. It was not a place of spirituality. And he would say, well, people, they, they go to Egypt, even in their minds. Don't go to Egypt in your mind. Stay on the straight and narrow. Follow him. Because as you follow him and dedicate yourself to him, you are within the purpose of God. And as you are within the purpose of God, God will orchestrate your life. All right? Uh, these are the guardrails that God puts around us. Thankfully, he pours out his grace to us uh, and allows us to get back on the right track. There's not a person here who hasn't made a, a mistake at some point in life and gone off the straight and narrow. All of us. Me first. All right? That's why I can preach like this, because I've walked that road. I understand it. I know how easily it is to be distracted, and all of a sudden you're not walking with God. Uh, you're walking in a different track uh, as you get filled up with self and narcissism. God knows this. God, God knows this, which is why he puts these constraints in our lives, and he expects us to walk with him. And so here's the thing. Our view of life is severely limited. We have no idea where we're going in life. You may think you do. You may have plans, but you know how instantaneously that changes. Tragedy can come your way, and all of a sudden, life, life changes. But not with God. He sees the beginning and the end all at once. He is in control. He knows that you've given him your life. He knows that you've dedicated yourself to him. He has great plans for you, uh, mighty plans. And so Paul is encouraging us here throughout Romans chapter 8 and with this verse specifically that God is in control. You saw it in the life of Joseph. You saw it in the life of Job. You saw it in the life of Peter, even as they've hit roadblocks. God has our best interest in mind. We can trust him because he loves us, because he sees the beginning and the end, because he is there every single day. This verse isn't meant, really, to minimize the suffering or difficulties that you will go through in life. No, it's not. But what it's meant is to encourage you and to challenge you that there is a good end in all of this, that you need to hold on to Jesus in this world as you walk. Uh, and so this becomes important. That's why I say don't be cavalier and throw this verse around to somebody who may not have the spiritual discernment you have uh, or are suffering greatly. This is a verse to be deeply contemplated, to understand deeply what God is doing with us as men. And I pray that you will do that. And my prayer for you as we wind this down is that you will stay close to the Lord, that you will read your Bible 
every day, that you will pray every day, that you continue to check in with Bible studies, that you find a group of men, like-minded men, that can pray for you and affirm you and be part of a church that loves you and cares about you uh, and brings you closer to the Lord. Every single day of your life, if you want Romans 8.28 to be stamped in your heart, that's your responsibility. That's what you need to do uh, in every way. Amen? Amen? Let's bow our heads as we close in prayer. Father, I thank you so much for the commitment of these men. I thank you, Lord, for the season that you've given us, that you've blessed us and allowed your scriptures to be opened up. I ask you, Father, to let this message resonate in our hearts. As we leave here today, let us know for sure that we are with you, that you have guaranteed us that all things will work out for good, for your will. And that's what we want, Lord. We want to serve you, be with our men, protect them, lift them up, affirm them and their families and all that they do. And Lord, allow us to come together next season and continue the study of your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I love you all.